So there was once a, a young yeshiva bacher, and he was looking to get married, but um, he wasn't sure what do you do when you meet a girl. So he asked his rosh yeshiva what he should do. So he said, look, girls like to talk, and uh, there are three topics of conversation that uh, will always be successful if you speak them over with, with a girl. Uh, food, family, and philosophy. So the young man says, oh, perfect, excellent, that's great. So he prepares for his first meeting with the girl, and uh, they're sitting there in silence, and he's thinking to himself, oh, what was the first category? Food, okay. So he turns to her and he says, do you like fish? And the girl says, nah, nah, I don't like fish. And the Bacher thinks to himself, fantastic, we've done it, we've spoken about the first of the three categories, this is going very well. Okay, second category, second category, what's the second category? Family. Family, okay. So he turns to the girl and he says, do you have a brother? She says, nah, I don't have a brother. <laughs> and he thinks to himself, this is going excellent, now we've done two out of the three, very good. What's the third one? We had food, we had family, and the third one? Philosophy. Philosophy. So he's trying to think, philosophy, philosophy. So he turns to the girl and he says, if you had a brother, do you think he would like fish? Okay. So, we're going to talk about this week a shidduch, but in this case the Kala has a sister. Not a theoretical sister, although as we're going to discuss, in some ways an archetype. Have that in mind. But a sister who gets married. In fact, I guess I should say both sisters get married. In fact, both sisters, they get married to the same guy. Does everyone know where I'm going? Okay, Parshas Vayetze. All right. Yeah. So, it says, Ula Lavon, and two Lavon, Shtei Vonais. He had two daughters. Shem Hagdoila, the name of the older one, Leah. Her name was Leah. Veshem Haktano, and the name of the younger one, Rachel. She was named Rachel. All right, tell, tell us a little bit about these girls. What does the Torah tell us? Very next verse. Ve'ene Leah Rakois. The eyes of Leah were soft or tender. You might even say bleary. Smushy. She had smushy eyes. Ve'Rachel, <laughs> whereas Rachel, she was beautiful of form and beautiful of appearance. Okay. First of all, this is the way to speak about the holy imahis, the matrix of our people. You have one verse to describe them, and we're, we're talking about looks. But second of all, the description of Leah's looks are not very complimentary. And third of all, what does that even mean she had smushy, bleary eyes? Okay, but Rashi understands that we're wondering that, so he deals with that. Look, let's look at Rashi on the verse, at least on that third question. What does it mean Leah has smushy, bleary eyes? Rakais, soft. Shehoisa svua. She was, she held, meaning she was of the opinion, under the impression her whole life. That she would fall in the lot, in the portion 
of Asaph. That was her destiny, in other words. She was under the impression her, her whole life that her destiny was to be Asaph's wife. Uveicha, and therefore she was crying. She didn't like that idea. Why? Everybody would say, Rivka had two daughters, I mean two sons. Rivka has two sons, twins. Yankiv and Asaph. And Lavin has two daughters. So they were making Shiduchim. So let the older one marry the older one. And the younger one will marry the younger one. And this devastated her. Because she knew what kind of a guy Asaph was. She knew what kind of a guy Yankiv was. Yankiv was Ishtam Yeshev Ayhalim. He was a straight shooter, a simple guy, artless. He was dwelling in the tents of Torah study. He's just a real straight shooter. Conventional good boy. And everyone knew that Esav was not a conventional good boy. Esav was a project. Esav was Ish Tzayed, Ish Sadeh, Yedeya Tzayed. He was a man of the field who knew how to hunt. He was not tame. He was out of the box. So how do you think she felt that they were looking at the two daughters and they were making up who's going to marry whom and this is what they were saying about her. Why were they saying it? Okay, so Rashi says because the older to the older, the younger to the younger. Okay, fine. But there's more to it. There's more to it. Which also explains why Toyota is describing the Imahis in terms of their physical appearance. Why? Because it's not entirely talking about physical appearance. Yes, that too, because if we know there's, there's a certain parallelism between spirituality and materiality. But primarily the verse is speaking about their spiritual appearance, so to speak. What does that mean? Let's talk about Rachel because Rachel is easier to talk about, which is kind of the point here. Rachel is Yifas Toyev Yifas Mare beautiful of appearance, beautiful of form, not just in the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense. She's a conventional good girl. She's a conventional good girl. She does everything right. She does everything the way it's supposed to be done, and that's how she does it naturally, and that's how she does it the first time. She's just a good girl. She's an easy child to raise. She's an easy student to have in your class. She's a conventional good girl. That's what it means. She's, a be she's beautiful of form and appearance in terms of character. Now, what does it mean that Leah is not that way? That she has soft, bleary eyes? If Rachel is the spiritual, let's call it, archetype of perfection, what is Leah? We're not putting her down. We're not insulting her, God forbid. Surely it's not an insult, but this, it's a different model. Rachel is conventional, get it right the first time, spiritual perfection. Leah is... Uh, that's a nice euphemism, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she, she, thinks, she, she thinks on her own, she marches to a different beat. Yeah, and maybe she gets it wrong sometimes. In other words, if Rachel's the tzaddik, Leah's the Balchova. She's the penitent. She's rough around the edges. She has life experience. And, and, and that's why her eyes 
are bleary. That's why she's associated with crying, because penitence is associated with tears of contrition, of regret, of wanting to come closer, wanting to mend your ways. You know, learning from the school of hard knocks. They said there was once two guys, they made a business partnership because one of them had money with no experience and the other one had experience with no money. So they, got, they thought it was a good shidduch. By the time they were finished, the guy who had the experience had all the money and the guy who used to have money got some experience. Okay? Experience means hard, school of hard knocks. So Rachel is get it right the first time because that's just who Rachel is. Rachel is easy. Rachel is on the right path. And, and that's why people said, well, who should she marry? Obviously, she'll marry the conventional good boy. The, the boy who does everything right. The simple, focused, straight shooter. Yankiv. Leah is the unconventional one. The one who has to find her way. She has to find her way. She has to discover her path. And there's trial and error, and there are mistakes, and sometimes the process isn't so conventionally beautiful. And so they said, well, you know, she's interesting, you know, that ever so damning adjective that we use in our community, right? No, no, I just said interesting. It's not a bad word, right? You could destroy somebody with that word, right? She's interesting. We all, don't, don't pretend you don't know what I'm talking about. I'm not the only one who picked up on it. <laughs> Call somebody about shidduchim. What, what's she like? She's interesting. Oh, that's it. It's done. It's done. So Leah is interesting. Let her marry Asaph. He's interesting, exactly, yeah. Yeah. Why do we need to know all this? So I said before, these are archetypes. Archetypes for what? Look, these are the mothers of the Jewish people. They're all of our mothers. We have their DNA, spiritual DNA. We need to know these two archetypes because these are the two models of Jewish personalities. Some of us are Rachels and some of us are Leahs. Spiritually speaking, some of us are conventional, get it right the first time types, and some of us struggle to find our way. But the question that remains, and this is the question I want to uh, have you hold on to is we all know that you know Leah was a tzedekah, she was a righteous woman, even if she were describing her as having sort of the unconventional Balchuva path, but she, she was, at the end of the day, she's a righteous mother of our people. Why is she being condemned that it should even be a, a thought or a suggestion that she marries Asaph, who we all know did not end up as a good guy? Like, why is that her punishment that because she's unconventional, she has to marry somebody who is a wicked person? Maybe he could. That, 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 just hold on to the question. Hold on to the Let it stew. Of course you're right. Of course you're right. I know because I have this. This is the smartest class. I only have the smartest Talmudim. And every. And don't. It's a spoiler. It's called a spoiler. You're right. I heard where you're going. Okay. So I wanted to. I'm going to tell you a story. This is okay, one. You know my format, okay? Yeah. These are the two, um, let's say, DNAs of people. Yeah, two archetypes. One, it's like what you're born with. It's your natia. Like either the child's born with one, or the child's born with the other. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah sort of. To do to 
No, you are a Rachel or you are a Leah. Okay. And by the time that you're in school, you've probably figured out which one you are. If you're an adult, you know which one you are. And if you're wondering who you are, you're probably a Leia. You are definitely a Leia. I wonder what kind of person I am. Introspective, insecure, you're a Leia. Okay. No question. Okay. So I'm going to tell you a story. The story is about a young man who uh, he was raised in, a, in, a, in an orthodox home, in a religious home in Israel. His father was actually a Rav. Um, and he went on his own path. In fact, he became enamored with extreme leftist politics in Israel, became like a communist, and uh, yeah, yeah, and because he, he lived in Haifa, which is a very, very left town, and uh, as, a, as a real communist, you know, as a <coughs> member of the proletariat, he didn't want to be privileged, right? So he, he worked in manual labor, he drove a tractor, as a teenager, he drove, he drove a tractor, and he used to work two shifts driving the tractor, and he'd go party at night at the disco, and he'd work two shifts, and you know, that was his life. Anyways, that got old real fast, and uh, he comes to his father and says, I want to go back to yeshiva. He says, nobody will touch you. They won't have you. you know, been com you've been completely <coughs> away. He says, Let let's try. So they went around yeshiva hopping, and... <coughs> They came to the, the Chabad Yeshiva. He was not at all from a Chabad family. He was from a Litvisha family. He came to the Chabad uh, Shul, I mean Yeshiva, in Lud. And after he walked around for a little while, he told his father, Zema Shali, this is my place. I'm, you know, this is where I'm staying. So the Rosh Yeshiva looks at him and he's like, buddy, you know, <laughs> I don't think this is like your place. He's like, what, this, the ponytail? He said, that'll be going by tomorrow. Don't worry, I'll be dressed like every other bacher. I'll be fine. So the Rosh Yeshiva says, fine, okay. They put him in uh, the Yeshiva, and the next day, he looks the part of a Yeshiva Bacher. Except, he's not a normal Yeshiva Bacher, because he's not a normal guy. What did he do? He missed out on all those years of learning. And especially he missed out on Chassidus, because he didn't come from that background. So the same way he used to work like a Meshuggah in two shifts, driving his tractor, and then partying all night, in yeshiva he was the same kind of wild person. He would keep the whole seder of the yeshiva, and then he would have another seder for himself all night to catch up. He would have Bacham learning with him all through the night, and he would catch up on all the things that he'd missed over the years. And like this, in this very wild way, because he's just a wild person, now he was applying it to, to, to chassidus and to learning. He progressed, and he progressed, and he progressed, and he became very advanced. At one point, so he says to the, the Rosh Hashiva, I mean, he became a you know, regular Chabad boy, so the, you know, the greatest thing is to go to the Rebbe, to go to New York. So he asked the Rosh Hashiva, can he go to New York? So the Rosh Hashiva tells him, you know, normally we don't send our boys to New York because we don't feel like boys of that age should leave Yeshiva and take that trip. But he says, look, you're an experienced guy. You know the world. It's like I'm not afraid to send you out there. You, you know what's out there. You've rejected it already. You can go. So the young man went to New York, and he was extremely enamored with the Rebbe, and uh, he had a Yechidus. And in fact, in the Yechidus, I'll tell you the story, what happened, he wrote up his entire life. He wrote up his entire life, a multi-multi-paged letter. And, 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 but then the focus of the letter was about everything he had been, been accomplishing in the last couple of years. Everything that he had studied and the progress that he'd made as he'd, after he'd returned to Yiddishkeit. In other words, he wanted the Rebbe to 
understand what path he was on, and then to give him guidance as far as how to continue to progress further and further. So he comes in Yechidus, and he hands the, the letter to the Rebbe, multi-pages. And the Rebbe had a way of reading the letter in Yechidus. He would take the paper and hold it over a pencil and scroll it like this, like scanning line by line rather quickly, like that. So the Rebbe was scanning page after page of the letter, like that. And he had been told, this young man, I suppose we should say his name, uh, Reuven, he'd been told that the first thing that the Rebbe tells you in Yechidus is, is like your path for life. So like, listen very, very carefully, because your first Yechidus, the first thing the Rebbe tells you, that's setting you up for your, your service in this world. So uh, the Rebbe finished reading the whole thing, and uh, young Reuven is waiting for the Rebbe to give him that direction in how to progress in his growth as a Jew. You know, that spiritual path being laid out for him. And as the Rebbe finishes the letter, the Rebbe puts the letter down, and he looks at Reuven, and he says, so you know how to drive a tractor. And he was devastated. Because the tractor was what he had rejected. The tractor represented a life that he was getting away from, he had gotten away from. He wanted to hear something about learning, about davening. And the Rebbe's asking about the tractor, it, was very, it shook him up. This Reuven, he, he, he eventually came to study full-time in 770. In fact, it's known, you know, the Rebbe kept extremely late hours, and they would know when the Rebbe was in his room because the, the Rebbe's light was on. And Reuven was the only Bach in 770 who had a habit, religiously, he would not leave the study hall until the Rebbe had left his office, whether, whether it was 4 or 5, 6 in the morning. And he had other Yechidus, and he had other private audiences with the Rebbe throughout those years, and they enjoyed a very close relationship. In fact, it was known that he could have Yechidus when, when he requested it, whenever he wanted, which was unusual. And over those years, there was no talk of tractor driving. It was intense, intense, intense focus on learning and davening and development to find character traits in the manner of Echidus Shabacha. Then one day came, a, came another Yechidus. Yeruvin is still a, a Bachar, still a student full-time in 770. Comes another Yechidus. And the Rebbe says, it's time for you to go back to the tractor. And he was devastated. Again, the tractor. That was always the knife in his heart, the tractor. And he knew it. In some way, he knew in the back of his mind it was going to come up because that was the first thing the Rebbe ever said to him. He started crying. The Rebbe told him, look, Maman of Shach, either way you slice it, you have to leave. Because <clears throat> if I'm a Rebbe, then I know where your soul belongs. And I'm telling you to go back to your tractor in Haifa. And if I don't know where your soul belongs, then I'm not a Rebbe. And why would you give up your life to stay here with me? So at this point now, you've got to leave either way. And he left. He went back to the tractor and he wore a hard hat. He carried his lunch to work in a lunchbox. He was a regular, in, in America they call it Joe Lunchpail. 
I don't know what they called in Israel, but just a regular working class blue collar guy working on a tractor. And I want to tell you something. He didn't have a shul, he wasn't a rabbi. I mean, he was a rabbi, he was a learned man. But he didn't have an official position as a rabbi or a Rosh Hashiva. He didn't have a religious job. His job was he, he, he drove the tractor. And he was Mekarev. He brought back to Yiddishkeit thousands and tens of thousands of people who would never even speak to a rabbi. But they would speak to him, they would speak to Reuven, because he was a regular guy. He had a regular job. He sat on a tractor. He was a man of the people. If he had been a rabbi in any shul, he would never have touched as many people and he never touched the kinds of people that he was able to touch as the tractor driver rabbi. So that's the answer to our question. When we say that Leah should marry Esav, it's not chas v'shalom uh, dismissive, oh, you know what, let, let, let the two uh, difficult shidduchim, you know, let's just lump them together. No, 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 that's not, at least that's not what Torah means. Torah means like this. If you're a Rachel, pretty much what you can handle is a Yankif. And by that, we don't just mean a husband, but we mean a life. If you're a conventional type, then the type of life that you can tackle is a conventional life. And that's where you're going to thrive. And we respect that. We don't work against that. But if you're a Leah, if you have those dark twists of character, that interesting past, that, that history of struggle, of searching, then you can even tackle a life that's like an Asaph. You can be out there in the world and you can deal with spiritual challenges that little Rachel can't deal with. She can't deal with it. She can't even fathom it. That's not her, and it's not, it's not for her to fathom because that's not her, her task, but it's your task. You were given that strength. And don't be afraid. Go out there and do it. And it wasn't a punishment because if Leah would have married Asaph, we know Asaph would have done tshuva. And if Esav would have done tshuva, you know what that would have meant? When Yankiv told Esav, when their final confrontation occurred, and he said, I'll meet you at Harseir, what did that mean? We all know the final confrontation in the times of Mashiach will be Harseir. Basically, Yankiv was telling Esav, the next time you and I meet up, when we make peace, real peace, it'll be when Mashiach comes. In other words, flip it. Making peace with Esav means bringing Mashiach. Leah had the power to tame Esav and perfect the world! But she was afraid. She was afraid to do it, and she didn't take it on. She didn't have a rabbi to tell her. That's, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's the answer. Maybe that's the answer. But Baruch Hashem, we have this sicha, and we know this heira, and that if you are a leah, and if your story is interesting, and if you found yourself in geirole shel esav, that your destiny seems to be an ace of destiny. It's not a punishment. It's not an insult. It's Hashem telling you, you have special koiches to tackle what's out there and to perfect the world in a way nobody else can do it. Nobody else could be makarov, those tens of thousands that Reuven could makarov. You have a special koich to go out there and do something to make this world not just a better place, but the best place to make the world ready for Mashiach. So do not fear your destiny as a Leah.